Today's guest is Jason Nemez, best-selling author of The Code of Behavior. Two years ago, Jason died of a heart attack, and since coming back from the dead, Jason's worked his way up to the top 1% of the network marketing space. Can't wait for you to hear more about Jason's story. Let's get right into it. All right, man. Well, Jason, we're super excited to have you on the podcast with us today, and for the people who don't know you as much, uh, let's get into a little bit about where you come from. So where'd you grow up? What was your upbringing like? Tell the people about you. Yeah, cool. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me on the show. Of course. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you fly me out here and be a part of this epic podcast. So I grew up in Plano, Texas, okay. and my parents split when I was one. However, and I, I still thank them to this day. I was very fortunate because a lot of people weren't blessed in this manner. But I was very fortunate in a sense that I had both my parents in my life. Yeah. And they co-parented pretty well. Nice. So it would be one of those things as I started getting a little bit older. Uh, hey, mom, um, dad wants to come pick me up and go play basketball. Or, hey, mom, I want to go see my dad. And she'd be like, cool, you have school tomorrow. Be home by dark. You know, it was yeah. never uh, using me against the other parent gotcha. kind of thing. So they weren't together, but you still got that great, healthy dynamic of them both healthy co-parenting. There was never, you know, there was never problems in mom versus Correct. dad. Correct. I never saw them fight. Gotcha. I never, never saw them argue. And my dad was always there to pick me up every weekend from the time they split. So, and I, I still to this day have a very close relationship with my mother, my father, my grandma. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. And then growing up, uh, what were you like passionate about in school? Were you into sports? Were you into? I did not care too much for school. Yeah, but I love sports, soccer and basketball. Okay, that was my that was my jam. Nice, very yeah. cool. Okay, and you know, we talked. Uh, me and you, when we were prepping for the call, we talked a lot about how me and you each had our battles quite a bit with substance abuse. When did that kind of start to trickle in for you? Is that a high school thing, grade school thing, or so? People have like their version of what substance abuse is. So yeah. I'll let the audience decide if they consider that substance abuse. Cause this <laughs> one's kind of a flip the coin. And I guess it depends on what area you're in. Yeah. But I smoked weed for the first time when I was 15. Okay. Gotcha. So some, some consider that substance abuse and some don't. Yeah. So like right? soft, sophomore year, high school, Correct. somewhere around I started experiencing and, and drinking came gotcha. into play at that time. Okay. Nice. But I wasn't extreme with it. It yeah. was definitely an introduction. That was the same for me. It was a, in the beginning, it was, I, I thought, healthy. It was just having fun with friends right. in high school, yeah. everything like that. Probably a younger age than your average person gets into healthy drinking with their friends. But, <laughs> but for sure. Um, and I, I just had something pop in my mind because they would always talk about how weed was the gateway drug. Yeah. And I highly disagree with that. I do too. It's definitely, it, for me, it was alcohol. Yeah. Because you'd be around certain people, you start drinking, and then you would want the hard drug. I agree. That that we both, yeah. I, I remember, and how old are you right now? 37. Okay, so it was, uh, we were getting about the same messaging about the same time, and I remember I remember hearing that too, that weed was going to be the gateway drug, and yep. that's what I had to look out for. But for me, like, when I got to be about 18 and 19, I actually got to a point where I stopped really smoking weed that much because it made me 
want to fall asleep. Me like too. it made me not mm-hmm. really want to go do the things like you want to go meet girls, you want to go have fun, you want to party all night. Smoking weed is like a if you're just ordering a pizza and hanging out with your friends on the couch. Playing kind video of thing. games, eating, yeah. chilling at the house. For me, alcohol was for sure a lot more of the gateway for Absolutely. me. So how about you? Same. And uh, I started my first, I would, the substance drug that I would consider substance drug yeah. at 17. Yeah. And yeah. for you, what was that? Cocaine. Cocaine. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. For me, it was the same kind of thing and actually about the same kind of age. Yes. So yep. pretty gnarly. It but. is. I mean, looking back, it, it is. It's crazy. Yeah. Because, I mean, it, and it's all about who you're hanging out with and you're surrounding yourself with and growing up just so active in, in sports and taking care of myself, running all the time because I was playing soccer, competitive soccer yeah. and basketball. And you had to be in great shape for those sports. And just to look back, well, I, I do a lot of reflecting. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, to look back and just to see how, like, it starts to – spiral to different things yeah i still remember the conversation i have with my dad when when i was like 14 13 14 and 15 i was pretty darn good at hockey and i was playing on like travel teams and stuff and then junior year of high school i told my parents i didn't want to play travel hockey anymore i probably don't like to hear that no (laughs) i told him i was down to play for my high school team but that's like very non- competitive just for fun right because i knew i could still do the social stuff i like to do meet girls drink party on weekends stuff like that it didn't take up your whole life right right exactly so well we're gonna get into a ton about you know kind of your transition into a successful mindset and your book and and all kinds of great stuff but um let's talk a little bit more first about you know kind of how bad it got for you in substance abuse what was you know, after you were 16, 17, and you started to get into a little harder stuff, where did things go from there for you? So I got into harder stuff, and then I got away from it. Okay. And then I got really into the bodybuilding. Okay. Uh, which I did get into substance abuse in that world. So everybody's going to know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then when I hit my early 20s, mm-hmm. I started back down the the drugs okay gotcha and then i got away from it for a little bit Mm -hmm. and then i got back to it yeah pretty heavily pretty regularly and um yeah i mean you've read my book so you know you know what what happened yeah (laughs) which i'm sure we'll get into definitely definitely. yeah i've been my whole life well, not my whole life. Starting at that, like, 17-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for, like, 17 years in and out of yep. it, doing it. And, I mean, we always uh, – it, it's funny because looking back, I, I get blood work done all the time. And all my blood work will come back perfect. I'm like, man, I am Superman. I can do <laughs> whatever I want. I can take whatever I want. I can use – whatever I want, however much I want, yeah. and nothing's going to happen. And you hear all these things of, like, stuff happening to other people. Oh, this person OD'd, and oh, this person, you know, because of steroids, died of sure. a heart heart attack or OD'd and, or did a bunch of whatever, had a heart attack. Yeah. But we never think it'll happen to us, and especially having all of those tests ran. Yeah. Because I would get tests done at, at least twice a year. Yeah. And everything would be perfect. And I would literally be shocked. I'm, like, when I'll get my results, I'm like, really? Like, I'm good? 
<laughs> you were expecting. Like, oh, a, I'm just gonna keep on. I'm expecting something. Yeah, seriously, because I, I mean, you. I would do so much. Yeah, and uh, so I would just, I would just keep doing it. Yeah. yeah. So you got it. You, you were really heavy into competitive bodybuilding. Yep. And you, you know, you started uh, using some drugs with that as well. And then, you know, what what shifted for you? So what was the point where you decided that that was probably not the right move for you? Well, I mean, I've really stayed away from everything since yeah. Easter 2021. I mean, that was really the wake-up call. Yeah. However, a year before that, I had completely stopped. Gotcha. Uh, the steroids. Okay, got because it. Because of when I find out, when I found out that I had something going on with the heart, uh, I got off that. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Well, pretty much the drugs, too. Might have been like one more time, but yeah. Gotcha. It's It's been in the years that I've been away. Okay. Well, give me kind of the, the timeline, because I, I read your book. It was incredible, Thank by you. the way. I really loved it. The Code of Behavior. And go grab it right now. Code of Behavior, <laughs> for sure. You're going to need to check that out. You're going to see a lot more posts about it. But um, in your book, I had a little trouble at certain times. It's just because I'm... ADD with my brain, but at certain times I couldn't figure out the timeline. So tell me, like, I know you started in network marketing, which you got some wins from that, some confidence built up from that. And you're gradually kind of making changes in terms of getting the drugs out of your life and making healthier choices. So what did that transition look like? Yeah. So got into network marketing, got around very high level people that believed in me when I didn't believe in myself, that poured into me, that wanted to see me successful. And I looked up to the person and highly respected them and saw the success that they had and got clear it's okay to be a copycat as long as you copy the right cat. So funny because our entire upbringing, we're taught don't copy, don't copy. You get in trouble for copying. But when it comes to being massively successful, you find a mentor who shows you the way, gives you the roadmap, and you go execute, right? Yeah. So it, it literally got to a point, I mean, I come in, I'm in the entrepreneur space now and I have somebody that I look up to who has massive success. He says, go do this. I'm not asking. Like, yeah. I'm going and I'm doing it. And, and that was it. And so I excelled very fast. I had a seven-figure business within three years. Wow. And when I started, I had a trash bag of clothes and lived in my buddy's living room. And then a girl came into the picture and started dating and started kind of going out. And then I got involved with people that I was involved with in my past yeah. a little bit earlier on in my party days in, in that town. And and uh, so I started hanging out with them and I had a little bit of money. Yeah. And uh, I just I just fell into that fell lifestyle back into, again. Back into old habits. Yep. Yeah. And, and I also, there was a lot of learning lessons there too because when I started to drift off my path, I was at a point where I had built a pretty nice team and I thought I had my dream team and that like I was full of ego and you couldn't tell me nothing. I'm good to go. Yeah. And so I just started, you know, partying, traveling, thinking that my business is just going to keep growing. Yeah. So there was, I say growing pains, but there were so many lessons. Yeah. So when you first got into network marketing, you, you didn't necessarily have a whole lot going for you at that point. Oh, right? no. Just, you started seeing the people who were winning in that space, seeing the seeing the behaviors that they were doing and how they lived their lives, and you started copying that, and that's what got you the first first move in the right direction on the right track. 
Yeah. So I had tried other network marketing companies. Yeah. So when this buddy of mine approached me with his opportunity, I laughed in his face. Yeah. Then I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> Already tried that. I'm broke. That stuff costs you money. You don't make money doing something like that. Yeah. So I went to college. I got my degree. I have a BBA in economics from the University of North Texas. Yeah. And then I found myself. So in college, I bartended and I made about four to $5,000 a month. And I was only working about 12 hours a week. Pretty significant income. So yeah. then I graduate college, get into the corporate world, and I'm making $2,000 a month and I'm working 60 hours a week and I'm hating my life. At least bartending, I was, I mean, I had fun around beautiful women. Uh, my friends would come see me, cash all the time. And now I'm like, I'm frustrated. This is, they lied to me, you know, yeah. they always think you get your degree. And, <laughs> I got gypped. Yeah. You yeah. think you're going to get your degree, go to the corporate world and make six figures and life is going to be incredible, but it's not how it plays out. I mean, I, I guess there's always exceptions, but for me, that is not how it, it worked out. Yeah. And so I ended up getting asked to go party in Oklahoma and I was a professional partier back in the day <laughs> and I, I was all about it. So we picked up and we dipped out and it was in Oklahoma, and I ran into the guy that I told no to for the four and a half years. Wrong. It, his birthday was that day. That's why he was out. Mind you, he was a seven-figure earner at that time. He could have been anywhere in the world that he wanted to be, but he happened to be at the exact same place that I was at. Wow. And I don't know what y'all's beliefs are, your beliefs, but I don't believe in coincidences. No, definitely. I believe that God puts opportunities in front of us, but it's up to us to say yes and act on the things that are in front of us, which most people don't because they're very fixed minded. And so I run into him and I notice it. Oh, dude, it was his birthday that day. Yeah. I think it's in the book, but April 4th. Yeah. Same day that the other thing happened. Pretty yeah. crazy. Now, on every, every April 4th, I just sit in my house and I do nothing. Right. I just yeah. chill. And, <laughs> but you'll hear more about that. Yeah. So I run into him and I notice like, man, this dude. This guy is just something different about him. You yeah. know, he speaks different. He's articulating his words different. He holds his head up high. He's he had that aura about man, him. He had this energy about yeah. him. I was like, dude, this, I don't know what you did with the old guy, but like, who are you? Yeah. And so we all went back to his house that night and I was blown away by his house. I mean, a 10,000 square foot house, multiple six figure cars in the driveway. Wow. And I'm like, damn. So then the next day he had me try his products and uh, yeah, I fell in love. Yeah. Tasted great. And the day I was like, I didn't need a nap today. I had incredible energy all day. Let's, you know, let's get it. And so, yeah, I mean, the rest is pretty much history yeah. on that. So that that's fell, how I got going. You fell in love back with the product. You Correct. were clearly impressed with the business model. Yep. So your whole opinion of nobody makes money doing that at that point, he squashed that for you. And he showed me his checks. He showed you his checks. Yeah. So you're sold at that point. You're ready to learn, ready to I was listen. sold. Yeah. I, I was, and I'll tell you, a person who is a hard no laughing at people, once they're convinced otherwise, it's game over. Game over. Oh, I signed up 27 people my first 30 days. Had I had the record for years. It got beat. But yeah. I mean, it's just, man, I, I was so intense and obsessed with getting out of the situation that I was in and becoming uh, the person that I saw in him. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good lesson, too, to people like me and you who I know both of our businesses now, we're looking for people like that. We're looking for that person who we know could be incredible, could be a game changer for our organization. But maybe they've said no a couple of times. So 
remember, don't say, don't give up on that person who keeps telling you no, because there's a Jason Neems waiting in that person. If you just keep up, keep showing them the business model. So incredible, dude. Yeah. And I believe that everybody has greatness inside of them. I believe that everybody has the ability to make it happen. I don't care who you are, your background, your race, what you look like, every single person out there has the ability to make it happen, but it all starts with here. For sure. And I'll tell you, so I, I said no to that opportunity for four and a half years and I went to an event and I went to that event broke in mindset, broke in bank account. And I was like, these people are out of their minds, you know, cause everybody's <laughs> clapping, they're hyped up, excited. And I was hungover because I was bartending. I was hungover. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't really gotten much sleep. And the last thing you want to do when you're in that space is be around a bunch of happy people. You yeah. know, I, I'm over here like these. But really, I had the stinking thinking. And so I left hating the company, feeling even more opinionated about it. But it's like, OK, that was my version of Jason. Right. That was my first experience. That was my first event. But I always say when I speak on stage that I had two first events because that was my first event. But then my next event, I had made some money. I had helped some people. I had results on the product. So now yeah. I'm like, okay, I understand what the company is up to. Yeah. So now I'm the dude standing on the chairs clapping. But it was the same person that walked into that room. The only thing that changed was my mindset around yeah. it. And it's the whole whether you think you can or you think you can't usually right. Definitely. So you were you were drinking the Kool-Aid at that drinking point. The Kool-Aid, baby. You were ready to go. You were bought in. I'm still fired up about it. I know. I can tell, man. So Let's talk a little bit about it. You've been in network marketing for a while now. You've built the foundation of all your businesses from that, yep. right? So what is it that you love most about the network marketing space? Like, what is it that keeps you fired up year after year? I would say the person that you become through the journey. Yeah. And it might sound cliche to say, but it really is everything. Because if you want more, you get to become more. And that's where I really learned about personal development, about showing up to conferences about wanting about like getting excited about learning yeah because we associate learning and all of that with school and most people don't want to go to school yeah but there's a saying by one of my favorite mentors who's not around anymore but formal education will make you a living self-education will make you a fortune and it's so true you got to continue education And I learned all of that through network marketing. Yeah. You learn the lifestyle to keep learning in all areas of your life through it. And then you learn about people. You learn how to work with people, how to build teams, how to help other people get along, how to put fires out. Do I, am I, do I react? Like, how do I, do I respond (laughs) or react? That's what I was thinking. Do I respond or do I react? Man, there's like, there's so, and I look, okay, who was I when I first started? Okay, now who was I when I got to this level? Okay, now who was I when I got to the top 1%? And it's like, okay, now I'm top 1% of the top 1%, but why am I not at this level? So now it's like, okay, that next level, I'm having frequent phone calls with the people that are at that level because there's something that I'm missing that they know that they have that I don't. Yeah. So I'm going to surround myself with those people. Yeah, so it got you clearly. It got you addicted to learning and leveling addicted up. Addicted to the and, game, yeah, the game of life. Stepping it up, yeah. I love that, man. Well, what uh, you know, as a like a leader in the network marketing space, what are some of the strategies that you use to really like attract and retain some of that top talent of the people that you want to work with? Man, care about people. Caring about people is the most important thing. Being a master of relationships. Yeah. 
I would say the biggest shift that I had from like kind of where I was quote unquote stuck to really excelling was focusing out versus focusing in. A true mindset of servant leadership. How can I be of service to you? How can I help you? How can I help you achieve your goals? Yeah. Because we sometimes we get selfish, like me, me, me. I got to achieve my goals. But what's so beautiful about network marketing is when the team grows, you grow. Yeah. And it's about doing it authentically, though. Not like, oh, I want to help you because if you grow, then I'm going to grow. But it's like, I truly yeah. want to see you win. Right. And when you, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. They say, you know, if you help enough people get what they want, then you'll never have to worry about what you need or what you want. That's right. So that's amazing. Yep. Okay. So to, you know, people are, there's tons of network marketing companies out there, tons of people starting a journey in network marketing. So what advice do you have to someone who's brand new, who just started with a company, they're really excited and they want to get to that top 1% in yeah. the network marketing So I'll talk space. about my experience because I'm being on talking about things that I can relate to that I've actually, you know, yeah. walked that path or it's just something that I've heard. Yeah. So for me, what really got me, right? was the products. Mm -hmm. you, whatever company you're with, you got to believe. And I know there's some network marketing companies that don't have a physical product that might be a service. You at least got to believe in the service. Yeah. But we'll talk about the product for now. So I dropped 17 pounds like that. And yeah. I had amazing energy. I didn't have to nap anymore. I was bought and I believed it. Because of that, I helped some people. I made some money, right? So now I got confidence. I have confidence in the products that the products work. And I have confidence in the business that the business works. Yeah. Because here's the thing about network marketing. Because it's a little bit different. Everybody has this, oh, this pyramid scheme, bullshit mindset. Um, they're going to be in your ear. Yeah. And, and it's not going to be because they just want to talk a bunch of shit to you. It's going to be because they, well, some people, right? Because they care like your family. Yeah. They're saying these things because they want to see you win. They don't think that's the way. They think the traditional way is right. the way. And so they're just speaking what they know best. Yeah. That's where they're coming from in a place of that, right? They, I, they still care. I think so many people get stuck on that yes. too because they get used to they When they get that first taste of mom saying, well, are you sure, Jason? Are you sure you should take that job? I know for me, for a little bit, I took it the wrong way. But you're right. They just, they care. And they, they think the path to success is different Correct. Than, than what we've been Sold on now, and, what and we're one, excited about. Right, and, and once your vision expands, it can never go back, right? Once yeah. that mindset expands and your vision expands, it can't go back. So, like, when I saw what my buddy accomplished, and I saw the checks, and then I went to an event where I had results, and I saw the bigger picture, I was like, wow. Like, yeah. we're really up to something. I, I love the mission. But so getting back to why it's so important to get on the products yeah. and, you know, get the result and believe in what you're doing is because people are going to be in your ear talking all that shit. Yeah. And if you don't have a result, you're going to believe them. That's true. And they could be like, oh, the product's this and that and oh, the business. And I'm like, I don't know about that. But what I do know is I dropped 17 pounds in my first 18 days, not <laughs> typical. And I made $1,100 in my first 18 days, not typical. And at my corporate job, I was making $2,000 a month working 60 hours a week. And I'm just working from my phone. Yeah. And I made $1,100 in my first 18 days. Yeah. So, but because I was so bought in and I believed in what I was doing, yeah. the outside voices, it didn't matter what they said. Yeah. And here's what's funny. Looking back, those people are still trying to figure life out or they're still doing the same thing. Miserable. Yeah. And, they're, and I've actually had some of them ask me to borrow money. Yeah. 
And I'm like, no, you can't borrow money, but I got a great opportunity for you. Yeah, I know, right? I can show you how to make it. I can show you how to print it. I'm going to give it to you. It's all teaching man to fish, right? Exactly. Well, that's. I think that's perfect, man. Whatever people are doing, whether it's sales, marketing, whatever, if you're not if you're not sold on your product and service, you're not bought in all the way. You're not going to push it passionately. Right. You're not going to be bought in all on your business. That's perfect, man. Yeah, you so. can take this conversation and apply it to anything, not just network marketing. Yeah, because I'm in other business spaces and avenues, and I apply this stuff to everything I do. Yeah. And that's what, you know, what you asked him about, like my favorite thing or what I think was the best. And that's why network marketing, because yeah. what we learn is it's a skill sets to achieve anything in life. Yeah, definitely. Doesn't matter what you're doing. For sure, man. Yeah. Well, we got into, we got into a little bit about network marketing. And I know after, after a few years in network marketing and you had quite a bit of success, um, just a couple of years ago, you had a pretty tremendous, tragic series of events. You ready to talk about that a bit? Absolutely. All right, cool. Yeah. So it's always a good time to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so April 3rd, 2020 was mm-hmm. a day that I went in for my first surgery, right? Yep. But before that, I noticed I was living in Nashville and I decided I wanted to get my cardio a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So I went to the Orange Theory that was close to my building. And I noticed that when I was on the treadmill, doing the treadmill workout, that once I got to a certain level of heart rate, my chest would start hurting. And I would have a little bit of a hard time breathing. And I know what it's like to be out of shape. And I was, I was a little skeptical about it. And because it was on the left side where my heart's at, that was alarming. So I had some tests done. And, y'all, your intuition and gut is everything. Yeah, I got to say that That, with anything in life. Yeah. And so I went to the cardiologist and I'm going to get to why I said that. So they did an EKG. Perfect. The EKG is that rest where they hook all the machines up, right? And they can select your your heart rhythm. And then uh, they they did an ultrasound Mm -hmm. where they have the imaging of the heart. Perfect. So the cardiologist at Vanderbilt. He was like, man, I don't think you need a stress test. You're in great shape, and these tests came back perfect. He recommended me not do the stress test. And I was like, doc, I'm telling you, the only time I have issues is when my heart is under stress. You knew something. I knew something wasn't right. And so I had did the stress test. Mm -hmm. And the nurses, they got me to the certain heart rate where they had to get you to it, and they stopped. They rushed me to lay me down on the little thing they had over here. And I'm kind of like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. They're like, are you okay? Are you dizzy? Are you, how are you feeling? I'm like, I'm good. What's up? Yeah. They're like, sir, please stay calm. I'm like, well, I am calm until you're saying that. Tell you me know, why like, you're what freaking the- out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other nurse ran outside to screaming for a doctor to come in. So uh, what they know, the people that were in the room, the nurses, was like, they know how to read that KG from the stress test, and they know what's normal and what's not. So long story short, my heart wasn't getting enough blood flow to it. Okay. So then I get scheduled for surgery. I go in for surgery, and uh, they're not able to successfully do the surgery. They found out that I had 100% blockage. Wow. Now, I had suffered a mild heart attack and we saw that on some imaging that was done after that but 
because there was a hundred percent blockage, you have to have a specialist yep. go in and put the stint in. It can't be like your everyday person that does the stints. Right. It's gotta be a very precise individual. Yeah. So the dude was unsuccessful. So now I'm scheduled for open heart surgery. And my dad's best friend is a doctor at Baylor Medical in Dallas. And they have some of the best cardiologists in the world. Like people fly in to go to that team. Yep. So he was, he called me up. I'm like a, a, another son to him. And he hit me up. He's like, hey, Jay, like you can only crack your chest open so many times. Mm-hmm. And if you can have a stent put in, like that would be the way to go. So please come see this group of doctors and see what they say. At least get the opinion before yeah. you crack your chest open. And quite frankly, I don't want to scar from here to here because that's how it is. And they, they open it up and they For sure. do the open heart surgery. So I went and saw them. They said they're 80% sure that they could do it. I said, that's good by me. I went. Surgery was successful. Good. Th- that was April 3rd, 2020. Wow. So now we'll fast forward. Easter, April 4th, 2021. A year later. A year and a day later. I It was... Normal, well, not a normal Sunday, it was Easter, but like you know, everyday Sunday, wake up. So, I end up going to with my girlfriend at the time. We went to the gym, a gym about 30 minutes away because I had a couple of buddies that wanted me to train them. So, we finished and then they wanted to play some basketball because one of them was like a beast basketball player back in the day. And I beat him in uh, around the world last time we played and he wasn't too happy about it. So, he wanted a rematch. So, I was like, cool. So we go downstairs and there's these three dudes that are talking a little bit of smack, wanting to play three on three. And keep in mind, I was like 245 at the time. I was putting weight on to then cut down for the middle of April. I was going to cut starting like April 15th. Yeah. So I'm sitting at about 245, eating four to 5,000 calories a day, not really doing a lot of cardio at this time because I'm putting weight on. I've got low top shoes on. I'm not trying to play basketball like that like we're playing yeah. a game game i was down to shoot around but i didn't want to play like that so anyway we end up playing played three games and i was very winded let's yeah. say that and i thought it was because i was out of shape yeah so then um her and i my girlfriend at the time we end up we, we end up leaving and of course my two buddies too but as we're walking out of the gym i notice some things starting to happen yeah I'm still out of breath, pain's coming in my chest, arms going numb, getting a pretty bad headache. Mm -hmm. And so get in the car, start driving again. We're about 30 minutes from the house because we went to that gym closer to them to work out. And we're about five minutes in. The pain's not going away. It's actually getting worse. So something's wrong. So something isn't right. The first heart attack that I had, it went away in like 45 to 60 seconds. Uh, because my heart grew from the good side to the bad side to get blood flow over there, yeah. which we saw in the imaging, which is unbelievable. Thank you, heart. Uh, so, but this time, the pain, all, the symptom, none of the symptoms are going away. In fact, they're getting worse. So, yep. I pull over to a gas station to get some Advil because the headache is literally excruciating. Uh, take the Advil, start driving. Still. Um, and I, I looked at her and I was like, yo, something is not right. And she was like, does it feel like the first time when you had a heart attack? And I said, no. And then after about however many seconds, I was like, you know what? It actually does, but it's not getting better. I said, something is, is really, something is really wrong. I want to go to an ER clinic. Mm-hmm. So she said, let's go. And I'm, I'm, I'm still grateful today that she said, let's go. Although I probably still would have gone because I knew in my, my, in my gut something wasn't right. But at least I had that support to be like, yes, let's yeah. go. So, and I talked about that I don't believe in coincidences. Yeah. God said, God Things are arranged on purpose. So it was Austin, Texas. 
during this time mm-hmm. and it was Easter. So there was no traffic. Normally in Austin, there's insane traffic. Yeah. So I, I Google for the closest ER clinic, five minutes away, get there in five minutes because there's no traffic. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have taken some like time. 30. Oh, easily. Yeah. So I pull up, I get in there, uh, I run inside, get inside, and they're like, sir, how can we help you? I said, I'm pretty sure I'm having a heart attack. And the audacity they had to ask me for my ID after I told them I think I'm having a heart attack. So they asked me for my ID, and I'm like, oh, shit. Mind you, I'm having a heart attack. I left my wallet in the car, so I ran back outside, grabbed my wallet, and come back inside, hand them my ID. They were kind enough to allow me to do the paperwork later, which was very nice of them. So they rushed me to the back. They hooked me up to the EKG, and I'll never forget that look on the doctor's face when he read what the EKG said, and he was like, man, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you're suffering a severe heart attack right now. Now... Where my mind went was doctors exaggerate. They talk about things and they make it seem worse than they really are. This is where my mind was at. Yeah. Clearly, that wasn't the case. But that's just where I was at. But the mind is very powerful. So I w- I'm telling myself that. And I was like, I've already had a heart attack once. This is just another mild heart attack. I'll be walking out of here in 45 to 60 minutes. No problem. So they lay me down. And I would imagine every single person in that clinic is in Every person in that office is in my room. Yeah. And they're all doing their different things. I'm laying there and I'm communicating with one person, mainly telling her how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's getting a little bit worse. Uh, okay, I'm having a hard time breathing. Uh, okay, I feel better. The pain's going away. I'm literally just communicating back and forth how yeah. I'm feeling. She's like, cool, I'll take this, take this. And then she's like, they're all handing each other stuff. They're all doing their little deal. Yeah. And then I... I felt myself, oh, and I, I, oh, sometimes I forget to talk about this, but so I lost my little brother to an OD. Uh, he was 28, and this was a couple years before. And he was my half brother, my only brother, though, and on my mom's side. So I texted my mom. I don't think you know about this story. I, so. I texted my mom while I'm laying on that bed. And I said, Mom, I'm having a massive heart attack right now. And I put my phone down. Like, looking back, how stupid could I be to do that? <laughs> you know, my mom, but my ex, she told me, like, after the fact, she was like, man, your mom came here and she was so calm. And I was like, my mom is a beast. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But I was looking back, like, why on earth would I do that? But it's because I truly thought that I was going to be walking out of that room. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, looking back, I was analyzing it. I'm like, why would I do that? And it was because I truly believed wholeheartedly that I that I was going to be there for no more than an hour. And yeah. I was walking out of that hospital or that that ER clinic, which is like a care now, right? Yeah. Not a hospital. Like a, yeah. The urgent care. So anyway, so they lay me down and they're doing, doing their deal. And I, I feel myself about to fade out. I'm like, y'all got to do something. I feel like I'm about to die. Please help me. God, please help me. And I died on the table. Uh, I flatlined. They told me that I was out for about 40 seconds. And out of nowhere, all I hear is Jason, Jason. So I'm literally got to keep the mic over. But I'm literally like, you know, I mean, I'm imagine I didn't have an out of body experience. People do ask me that, but I didn't, which I took that as my relationship with God isn't strong enough. And my life has completely changed from this event. But so I'm laying there and I just hear Jason. Jason. And I open my eyes and I turn my head and the doctor's like, welcome back. She just saved your life. 
a lady named Debbie to the left of me. And I was pretty dumbfounded. And I could not move my whole body at this time. I could only move my head. At first, I couldn't even open my eyes. I just heard Jason, Jason. And then I opened my eyes and then I could move my head. And then the doctor said that, you know, welcome back. She just saved your life. So now I look over here and I'm just like, you just saved my life. I'm like kind of trying to process everything. Yeah. Because um, for me, I just, it's like I went to sleep. Yeah. And then I woke up and she's like, yes, sir. You know, I just saved your life. And what's crazy about Debbie is, remember, it was on Easter. So Debbie normally works at the hospital in the ER unit specializing in heart attacks. That's mm-hmm. like her jam. Yeah. And so she's only at that clinic a couple times a month. Mm-hmm. And she happened to be there that day and be the person that, so she had to defib me and do CPR. And I came back. And so she, they, if it was just a standard nurse who was newer, they might not have been able to pull off what Debbie She did. was an expert. We'll okay. just put it that Got way. It. You know, I don't know what would have happened. All I know is the expert was there. And that's how it played out. Wow. And of course, I'm grateful. Definitely. And so, so uh, thank you, Debbie. Oh, yeah, thank <laughs> you. Thank well, you, Debbie. I, I went and saw her a couple weeks later, brought yeah. her a cookie cake that said, thank you for saving my life. Wow. It was a very, very emotional moment, as you could imagine. Yeah, my mom was bawling her eyes out. I was bawling my eyes out. Debbie was bawling my eyes out or bawling her eyes out. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's fascinating looking back. Crazy. This, it, it, this is in 2021. So this is just two years ago. Yeah. Right. This April we'll 4th will be two years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they, uh, they rushed me once they got me up, they rushed the paramedics were all, they were all ready to go. They rushed me to the hospital. I got into surgery within 15 minutes. They were done within 15 minutes. And then I was sent to ICU Wow. on the third day. They, uh, they moved me out of ICU and they said that they just needed to do some scans on my heart. And as long as everything was good, they were going to let me go. They were going to discharge me. And it's funny how natural it is for us to get negative. Yeah. You know, negativity is natural. Positivity is on purpose. I literally could not stop thinking like, oh, what if something's wrong? Like, what if my heart? And I'm like, oh, you better stop thinking like that. Yeah. Like, No. You can't control the thoughts that come to your mind, but you can't control how long they stay there and you can shift them and reroute them. Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. I'm like, no, I've got a powerful ass heart. My heart is a beast. Like, I'm good to go. I'm about to walk out of this damn. Need some positivity that's right. real I, quick. I just kept like yeah. freaking just spitting it out. Yeah. And uh, and sure enough, they came down, they did the scans, and about an hour later, they're like, no damage to your heart, pump function normal, like nothing happened. And I didn't have my shirt because it was at it was from the ER clinic when they took yeah, it off and did all the stuff. Open, yeah. So I literally, if you've seen The Dark Knight, the Joker, how yeah. he has the hospital gown on and walks out the hospital. Yeah. That was me. Nice. <laughs> they had to wheel me down on the wheelchair to a certain spot. Then I was able to get up and I walked right out on the third day like nothing happened. Wow. That's incredible, dude. So how does that how does that change your perspective? That's not something a lot of people Experience. No, it's not. So, I mean, having a heart attack for over two hours at, at 100% blockage at the Widowmaker, people don't survive that. That's why they call it the Widowmaker there, because if somebody has a heart attack there, somebody's about to be a widow. And what that, just for people that don't know, because I didn't know any of this. Of course, this stuff happens. You start to research and study and look into it. Yeah. But it's the LED artery, which is the left side of the heart that funnels the entire body of blood flow and oxygen. And that side of the heart cannot defib itself. The right side can. Wow. So 
if and when you have a heart attack on that left side. If you do not get to a defibrillator in time, you die. Wow. Like, you die. Again, Widowmaker. So, man, and, and I'll tell you, a, a lot of people, and I've heard stories, it's not even at the Widowmaker heart attack, but it's another version of a heart attack. Yeah. They go blind. Their arms don't work the same. Like, things mm-hmm. just, they get messed up, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to think. If that's the part of the heart that funnels the body of blood flow and oxygen, and mine was 100% cut off for two hours, you would think something would be a little off. Yeah. And it, nothing. Yeah. You, you seem pretty normal to me. Yeah. You, so, and you're still, you're working out constantly. Every you're, day. You're back almost. to full physical fitness. Yep. And, and man, I don't, I don't take this, this opportunity at life lightly. And, and I'll tell you, that's, and I really hope the listeners pay attention to this because. This is one of the biggest problems with people and why they don't succeed is because they think they have all the time in the world. Yeah. Like you, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll get, I'll start it next week. It's like, who said that you have tomorrow? Who said that you have next week? You know, and it's not like live every day. Like it's going to be your last. However, it's the mindset of, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. So I'm going to make the best of every single day and give it my all knowing that I am living up to the best man or woman that I can be, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. I can go on and on about that. Well, I mean, I think it's one of those things that a lot of people have to experience something. They don't though, because they can learn from your story. Correct. They can learn from your story and anybody else's story who had any sort of close to death experience or, or something like that. And they can get that second chance on life mindset if they choose to. That's right? it. And that's a big if, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, humans are the only life form that are given an opportunity to live a life that's half full or do like 20% of what they're capable of. You know, I don't know about a tree growing its branches half. You know, a tree, they grow their branches as much as they can. It's not, they don't half grow their branches. They max out. They max out. Yep. All of nature. It's like humans are literally, we're the only life form that has choice. Yeah. So you came out of that whole experience thinking, you know, this clearly happened for a reason. There's a a reason I'm still here. I survived because there's so many things that could have gone wrong. I mean, what if, what if you didn't go to the gym with your girl that day and you were at home by yourself? And I thought about that. What What if if I was snowboarding on a mountain? I didn't have so many things. So many things. Yeah. And they told me 60 second difference. I wouldn't have made it. Wow. That's incredible. That's crazy, incredible, crazy, incredible. It's incredible. It's crazy. Well, I mean, I know after a lot of these experiences that you had through, you know, through the substance abuse, through making it in network marketing, through the heart attack experience, you know, one of the most excited things about having you on the show today is you wrote an incredible book about all these experiences and where you're, you know, how you're applying those in your life. So. What is it that really, when did you know you wanted to write a book? What inspired you to write that? So I've always wanted to, but I really never knew how to go about it. And somebody heard my story and I got a whole campaign deal. Mm-hmm. So I've got the book, I've got a course. And from this whole experience, you know, not everybody wants to do network marketing. Some people want to have their own business. Some people want to stay in the corporate world. And I always tell people, man, look, I don't care if you're a bartender, a janitor, or a CEO of a multi-million or billion dollar company. If you wake up with peace of mind and you love what you do every single day, you are winning. 
because there are plenty of people that have all the money in the world and they wake up miserable, hating themselves. Yeah. Right. So the money just exposes you of more of who you are. And I tell people that all the time. So, but I, I want to do major things in this world. Like I already am, but I want to keep growing to levels. I never even fathomed. And it really hit me once. I mean, I walked out of the hospital with no damage, everything normal. I was like, you know, I really am here for a bigger purpose than I ever imagined. And with my skill sets and my story, I can help people that are inside network marketing and outside network marketing. So that's when I was like, okay, cool. I'm about to launch a coaching business. I'm about to help people with whatever it is that they're wanting to do, whatever goals they have. Like I can help you because a lot of it is in the mindset and I've become a master of mindset. And I still have my days. I'm human, right? But I, I can, I don't stay there. You know, that's the important part is you don't stay down. You get your ass up and you get back after it. For sure. Yeah. Well, I loved, and I've read your book for sure. I loved it. And what I loved, what I loved like most about it is just like you said, it, it, obviously you have most of your experience in network marketing, but Jason's book is called the code of behavior and the primary concept. You can learn a lot more detail by reading it, of course, but the primary concept is that your habits and your behaviors are what's actually going to determine your trajectory in life. And we have complete control over what habits we choose, how disciplined we want to be with those habits, and everything like that. So how did you come up with that concept for your book? Man, that's such a great question. I was just thinking about things. And, you know, you start to talk with people and ideas come up. And the word code came up because it's such a powerful word. And our behavior came up in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so I was like the code of behavior because, and, and nobody has ever referenced it in that way. So I was like, man, that's perfect. That is the code of behavior. How are you living day in and day out? What is your code? Because I'll tell you, I had a code of goofing off, hanging around people that weren't doing the things that I knew aligned with where I wanted to go. Yep. People. It, so I'm going to take a step back. So I was around those people living a certain life. Yeah. And I had the certain results that I had, right? Yeah. That was the code of behavior that I was living by. And it got me the results that it got me. Broken, no vision, no direction, upset, guilt, shame. Maybe a lot of you can relate. I had a lot of that going on with myself. Like, I know I can do more. Why do I keep doing this? Yeah. And that's just where I was at. That's where my mom was at. And those are the people that I was hanging out with. Misery loves company. We've all heard it. And it's so true. Yeah. And then I start going around here, change my code, get around new people, start changing my behavior. And now I'm living by a new way. It's kind of like, you know, your commandments of your own life, right? Yeah. The code of behavior. Exactly. And then I started getting these new results. And now this is where I was getting to. But then my code of behavior went back to the things that I used to do. And I thought for some reason that I was going to keep staying over here and keep going up. But of course, that's not how it works. Yeah. It was almost like you you needed God to prove that to you, prove your concept to you. Yeah. And he, yeah. Because you saw the, you know. Well, life around. will throw your own stuff back at oh, you. Oh, for sure. Like, for yo, you sure. want to write a book about all these things? Cool. <laughs> now I'm going to put it all right back in your face. Yeah. Now what are you, you going to live up to your you, own word? Let's run you through the ringer again real quick. Exactly. Make sure you got it all done. God been doing it to me lately. I don't. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Well, that's perfect, man. And what I what I really liked about um cuz I knew you were going to be on the show, yep. right? So I obviously I started looking into you a little bit and 
you know, when I saw that you read a book, I was like, all right, well, I should probably, you know, should probably look into this, but you know, is this going to be like a kind of skim the cliff notes to get the gist of this guy? Or do I really want to read the book? And the title of it, what instantly struck me is saying the code of behavior. It really forces you, the person to own your shit. Yeah, it does. Because it's like, a lot of people will sit there and look at themselves as like a victim of their upbringing or their, you know, what they were born into or their social status or whatever. But those people have got to realize that it is their code of behavior that's actually determining what's happening in their life For at sure. that point. So, Well, and there's plenty of examples that prove that yeah. because you'll have you know, two, two brothers, for instance, mm-hmm. who and or sisters or a brother and a sister and they'll have an alcoholic father and one son will become an alcoholic and he'll say i became an alcoholic because my father is an alcoholic and the other person will go on to be a successful lawyer or doctor or business owner or a successful network marketer and be sober from alcohol or anything else and he'll say um well i did i chose this path because my father. my father was an alcoholic, right? Yeah. So it really is whatever route you decide to go. All about choices. Yeah, you yeah. can be victim or victor. And I promise you, victor is, is a way better life than victim. Because before I got exposed to this other way and these you know different kinds of people and different thought processes, I played victim. Yeah, I mean, it's it's natural for us to do because it's all around us. It's all over. Well, back then we didn't have social media, but for the people... Now, I mean, the social media victim mentality is it's all over. It's on the news. It's on social media. It's around the office. Most people, that's how they think and operate. That's how they live by AKA their code of behavior. And you are who you hang out with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I heard, you know, you hear out there, especially when we're on social media or when we're following a lot of gurus, you hear all kinds of simple definitions of success is this and success is this, but I actually really loved the one that you have in your book where you say success is, or the way you attract success is faith plus action. Yep. And I just, I love that. So could you talk to us a little bit about what faith plus action equals success means to you? Yeah. So having faith is great. Like belief that something's going to happen. But if you sit on your ass all day and you don't do anything, then nothing's going to change. Yeah. So it's being in action every single day, day in and day out, even on the days you don't feel like it, because I promise you there's more days that I don't feel like it. There's going to be more days that you don't feel like it than you do. But when you just say, just do it, I love Nike slogan, man, the just do it concept. You know what? It doesn't matter. Just go do it, right? Oh, but, 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 but just go do it. So when you live in that way, live in that code, um, you, you, you will win. And it might take you a year. It might take you five years. It might take you 10 years because everybody adjusts and adapts differently and people become masters a little bit sooner. Some people take a little bit longer, but when you have the faith and you put in the work, I know that four letter word work, work. When you put in the work and you believe you have the faith, man, it will happen. It's not a matter of if it'll happen, it's just a matter of when. And most people quit too soon. Yeah. Most people, it's like, you know, five years in, they're not seeing it. But on that sixth year, you would have you would have hit it. 
but yeah. you quit at five and a half years. You give up on yourself. You gave up on lost, your hopes. And they lost the, they faith, lost the faith. So they stopped with the action. Yeah. So, and a lot of times people, and I'll say today's society with how fast things are moving, people want that success immediately. They think like, oh, I've been doing this for a week. I should be massively successful. Like, no, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of grip, perseverance, freaking working your ass off again, day in and day out on the days you don't feel like it. No matter what attitude, with a smile. Yeah. Even when you, you got to put a happy face on. I, it, well, I guess it depends on what you're doing. Yeah. But like in network marketing, when you're in the people business, the relationship business. Yeah. I mean. And I mean, even if you're not meeting with people, you've, you've still got to make sure you're, you're doing it passionately. Optimistically. Correct. You're still, you're still picking up what you're putting down. Um, so yeah, you got to stay optimistic and have faith regardless. Yep. So. Incredible. Um, well, I, I mean, I took a lot away from your book. So what would you say is is the one main concept that you hope your readers take away from your book? That is a great question. Man. The five essentials. Mm-hmm. Goals, desire, discipline, confidence, action. If you nail those five, you'll, ha- you'll succeed. Okay. Like 100%. Goals, desire, discipline, confidence, action. Uh The five essentials. Love it. Awesome. Well, for you, what would you say is like overall one of the most valuable lessons you've ever had to learn in life that you you feel like everybody should have to learn at some point in their life? That I feel everybody should have to learn? Yeah. It's like I have my answer, but then I I can't say that because I don't (laughs) feel everybody should have to learn. Well, a way that I learned that you think it'd be beneficial for everyone to learn, I guess. So ask me one more time. Ask the question. So what's the most valuable lesson you've learned in life that you'd want to share with the world? Man, I would just say get a mentor. Yeah. Because everything from that falls into place. Yeah. With the right leadership and mentor in your life that will guide you, he will give you all the tools necessary to succeed. It's like every other thing that I would have said, it all fun, falls under that. Get the right, get a right mentor, I guess I should say. Yeah. And the mentor is somebody that you just highly respect, that you don't want to let down, that you're not going to question them. They're going to tell you what to do. You're going to go do it because that's just how you see them. Yeah. And if you don't see them that way, it's not, they could be a coach, but not a mentor. There's a big difference. Well, I mean, meeting you today in February, 2023, you're an incredible person with so much value to bring. Got all these accolades. You've been incredibly successful. But yeah, if I met 10 years ago, Jason Neems. Oh my God. You probably, Nemes, w- the without the mentors, Nemes, sorry, Nemes, my, my mistake. <laughs> uh, but you probably wouldn't have been the same person. I'd uh, probably be dead. Yeah. Or in jail. Seriously. Fair enough. Yeah. I'm I'm not even exaggerating. Without the right mentor? Without the right mentor. I'd probably be dead or in jail without the right mentor, too. Well, because we were, I mean, we're very similar to our past and what we were doing. I mean, definitely. It just, uh, yeah. But I I wouldn't change a thing. I I look back and as cliche as it sounds, I I just, I wouldn't. Yeah. Every Every single thing, even if it seemed bad at the time, it's something you can look back on and learn from today. So. Yeah, that's it. And it's it's unique to me. It's what makes me different. And I mean, who, well, we know one person, right? But who can we say has died on Easter? 
<laughs> we know one. Yeah, that's we what I'm saying. There, know, there's we one. Know, we know but I'm saying it's like it's it's very it's very unique to me. Is it two? Because you died on Easter. Uh -huh. Is it Jesus? Correct. Yeah. Right. So we got two. So yeah. we know two who died on Easter. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, dude, it was incredible getting to know so much more about your story. And for people who want to connect, obviously, they can go buy your book on I bought it on Kindle. I read it cool. on Kindle. Uh, but how? what's the best way to, for people to connect with you? So all of my social media, like IG, TikTok, which I just kind of started getting going on in YouTube, it's at Tatted Press. It's got it right there. But it's T-A-T-T-E-D, like Tatted, Tattooed, um, P-R-E-Z-Z-Z, -Z -Z, Tatted Press. And uh, you can also go to thecodeofbehavior.com or Jason L. Nemes. Dot com. Nice. Yeah. So tatted prez on all platforms or and the code of behavior dot com. Dot com or Jason L Nemes uh, dot com. Jason L Nemes dot com. Okay. Awesome. Well, incredible job on the show today, man. Really appreciate it. Anything that you want to say to the listeners? What's the last thing that you'd like the listeners to know about you? The last thing I'd like them to know about me? Um I don't know if I would say that I want them to know about me, but just that you're worth it. You matter. You're, you're listening to this for a reason on purpose. You're here for a purpose. Your life matters. I've dealt with mental health. I know a lot of people that, that battle and struggle, but there is another way you can make it out of it. I have this man right here. Joe has many people have and um, stop wasting time. Find something that you're passionate about and go give it your all. I love y'all so much. And thank you for having me on the show.